This is Ananin Kaike, and welcome to Voice of the Water Lily, an exploration of our ancestral music over the last 100 years intertwined with a historical and personal perspective. We will be exploring Latin music, more specifically salsa, Latin jazz, Cuban music, and Puerto Rican music. We are going to go deep into the history, learn about the seminal artists, as well as the artists that never received recognition, and we're going to add a personal touch through memories and anecdotes. Espero que disfruten mucho, con mucho, mucho cariño. Que lo que hay familia. Um, we're back here with another episode of Voice of the Water Lily, Our Stories. And today we are starting off, starting right where we left off with my conversation with Aurora Flores. And here, um, where we left off, she was just th- starting to talk about identity, race, and politics in the music. And then she goes on to talk a lot about the history, talking about the importance of Cortijo y su combo, um, Rafael Hernandez, and she tells a lot about the history and then tells a lot more incredible stories um, and talks about the meaning of salsa and why it's important. Um, and we're going to start up, before we get to the interview, we're going to start with a little bit of music. We're going to start with a beautiful tune called Cuembe by Imael, uh, Cortijo y su combo con Imael Rivera. Enjoy. Cama con de curumbinan de mi ancora, curumbinan de llorar. Oye, mira si la tuya te sorprende. Tú habla, cuende, 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 nada. Que cuando tú estés bien al lado, habla, cuende, 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 nada. Oye, mira, mula. 
And it would make me feel good because they just like so accepted me into the tribe. Mm-hmm. And I was part of the tribe. So when I met Joena, he was the last one I met. Um, I had no problem with him. Mm-hmm. It was like he accepted me with open arms. Like, you're a friend of mine. Hello, contigo, come here. You're my friend. Too. <laughs> it was like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was... I, it was family, you know. It, they made me feel like family. Mm. And, of course, my mother loved them. She loved their music. She cooked a whole dinner one time for Coltillo. Coltillo came to our house. Wow. My brother had one of his congas on the side. I have a picture with me, my mother, and Coltillo. There's this red conga. That's a junior conga. Wow. And those are hard to find. Junior Tirado mm. made these handcrafted congas. Wow. And Junior Tirado had been... He was a singer in Puerto Rico. Mm. When Mongo Santa Maria was in Puerto Rico, he did coro with Mongo. Oh, wow. When Mongo came to New York, Mongo had the first congas that you could tune with lugs. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And he got that from, I think the guy's name was Verada, something like that, in Cuba. Mm. And he was making these, these, these drums with lugs on them. And um, Mongo was the one that brought them in. So Junior copied that style. Uh-huh. So when Mongo left New York, after he left Tito Puente's band, that he was going to California and all, all right. that, yeah. Junior stayed here in New York. And mm-hmm. he actually had like a brownstone in Brooklyn. Mm. And from his garage, he started making these congas. Wow. So... By the mid-60s, especially after the embargo, when you couldn't get any congas at all, he he started selling these congas in Manny's music shop. And then to some of the local uh, record shops. Mm -hmm. And that's when these guys started buying these congas. And man, by the late 60s, every Latino community had guys banging out congas on every corner. Mm I remember we lived in the projects on the 19th floor and we could hear them. We could hear them at night from the corner. Jumbiando. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so throughout history, people have always, I'm sure back in caveman time, in <laughs> order to hand down the culture, in order to feel good, people would sit around a fire and they would tell stories and they would sing songs. Mm-hmm. And if things got really good and there was a celebration, they would dance and sing songs mm-hmm. and tell stories. Mm-hmm. And that's what our music means. And that's what we do. We hand down the culture. And, you know, you have people like Hector Lavoe singing about his abuelita mm-hmm. and how her sayings made him laugh. But mm-hmm. her sayings are the things that her, her refrains are the things that he holds in his heart about her. Yeah. And they're a le- and they are really lessons. Mm-hmm. So when I started hearing all this in song, and then when you look at Latin music, you know, at the time, we, I mean, I was a coquette. I loved rock. I loved James <laughs> Joplin. Uh-huh. I loved Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> I, I loved Jethro Tull and Sabbath, Black Sabbath, uh, Cream. I was into Eric Clapton. Uh, I mean, I I, I love that. Um, But most of that rock, if you listen to it, 
It's very simple. It's, it's really just a few chords. Right. And a lot of times it would be a bass, a drum set, and a guitar. Yeah. A bass, a drum set, and a guitar. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you look at Latin music, especially today, when you really don't see bands anymore. No. Basically, what you see is a guy and a DJ. Yeah, exactly. That's what you see. You don't... So when you look at a Latin band today, that is as close to a classical music setup that you're going to see. Mm. You have a rhythm section, okay? You got a bass, you got a piano, and then a Latin percussion section. A Latin percussion section is bongo, timbal, mm-hmm. and conga. And then, and there you got your rhythm section. Yeah. Then you got your brass section. A lot of times it's a trumpet, trombone, saxophone. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if it's a charanga band, you got violins and flutes. Right, yeah. So all of this you have in a Latin band that you don't see this anywhere today. No, no. So, I mean, if kids want to see something that's close to a, a, a classical orchestra, it would be a Latin band. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I got to tell you, after Chano Poso recorded Manteca with Dizzy Gillespie in 1948, yeah. all the jazz bands started including congas. Mm-hmm. Yep. After the Fania All-Stars went around the world with Ray Barreto, with Nicky Marrero, with Roberto Verwena, I have seen, because I still like to go to classical music concerts, mm-hmm. right? Live concerts. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, because before they would only have a timpani, mm. but I have seen them include a timpani and a conga. Wow. And I'm like, yeah. Wow. And that, we did that. <laughs> that's incredible. My generation did that. Yeah. So that's what culture, that's what this music represents. That's what it represents to me. It's not just a soundtrack. No. It's more than a soundtrack. You know, you have a guy like Tite Cuya Alonso, mm-hmm. who's a songwriter, and yeah. he was also a journalist. Yes. And in Africa, the people who kept the oral histories of the tribes, they called them griots. Mm-hmm. The griots were storytellers. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about Latin music, which jazzers love so much, is that there is a form of improvisation oh, within yes. the Latin music. Yes, because so. it's still very much with an African format. Yeah. And one of the things, the difference between African and and the music of indigenous people and the music of white European music. White European music, first of all, it's usually all on the downbeat. Mm-hmm. And those musicians think about the music first. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. they write it on paper. Right, yeah. And then they have to rehearse it. In Africa with the tribes, nobody did that. It was all improvised on the spot. Right. We made the music on the spot. We sang it on the spot. We danced it on the spot. Mm-hmm. We played it on the spot. Right. And then we, if, if it turned out good, we played it over and over and over <laughs> until we were like masters of it. Yes, exactly. But, um, and... It was not on the downbeat no. because there was a drum, because there was a conga, the music would be on the upbeat. Right. Yeah. And so this is, you, you know, this is very different. And then during slavery, um, during slavery, what happened, especially on the islands, that was interesting, those conquistadores, after they 
committed genocide on the Indian population and enslaved the Africans they brought in. They brought in the wives, they created their societies, and then they wanted to be entertained. Mm-hmm. No entertainer from Europe was going to come to those islands. Right. Not back then. <laughs> nope. That was like hell to the no. Yep. No, that's not happening. No. Right. But some of them, you, you know, some of them, even of themselves, were musicians. Some of them were pianists. Right. Some of them were, were um, um, played horns. Um, many of the French landowners, after the revolution, the Haitian revolution, fled to Cuba. Some of them fled with yep. their slaves. Yep. And they loved and they played violin and flute. Right, that's how we got charanga. So, yeah, and I, I, I've been doing research and I don't see charanga, I don't hear about charanga in, in Cuban uh, musicology until after the 1800s. Right. Yes, I've been doing research on that. And too. that was after the revolution, the uh-huh. Haitian revolution. Exactly. And and so what happened was one of the benefits, let's say, of the church, of the clergy, mm-hmm. they suggested to these guys who were musicians, look, these uh, slaves that we have on Sundays on their day off, oh my God, they play and they sing and they dance. Mm-hmm. And... Maybe we can pick some of them to come and rehearse with you guys. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. And that's why in places like Puerto Rico, someone like Rafael Hernandez, the yeah. international composer, mm-hmm. and the guy who was a friend to Bobby Capo, yeah. who helped who helped Contigo yes. become the first all-black orchestra uh-huh. on television because he was the producer. Mm-hmm. Um, Rafael Hernandez's family... He traces his grandfather, his great-grandfather. Yeah, they came in as enslaved Africans, but yeah. his grand, great-grandparents' father was the first one to be picked, and he learned piano. Mm. He started as a drummer, he learned piano, and mm. they made sure they taught all the family right. how to play an instrument because it got them out of slavery. Right, wow. Mm-hmm. And that's when they started the marching bands. Mm-hmm. Every town in Puerto Rico, as in Cuba, there's like this plaza, round plaza. On one side is the government building. On the other side was usually a big Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Right in the middle was a gazebo. Mm-hmm. And the Spanish government paid them salaries. Mm-hmm. They, they, they not only were gotten out of slavery, they were able to buy their own homes. They mm-hmm. were able to live Sort of a middle class life. Wow. Because they got a, a, a salary, a weekly or monthly salary from Spain to to perform. Wow. They performed every Sunday, and that's when people socialized. Every government event, that marching band was there, and this was their job. Mm. Which is why in 1898, when the USS Maine gets blown up, Mm-hmm. And the Rough Riders invade Puerto Rico through Guanica. Uh huh. Yes. Yep. Um, the first ones that came to New York were the musicians because mm-hmm. they saw the writing on the wall. Yep. And Rafael Hernandez was one of them, and he opens mm-hmm. the first Latin music record shop right. in 1927 mm-hmm. on 114th Street and Madison Avenue. Mm-hmm. 
that tells you how many Puerto Ricans were already here that he could do that and survive. Exactly. Him, his brother, and his sister Victoria. Yes. They not only gave music lessons in the back, when all these band leaders and record labels were coming looking for arrangers and musicians, that's where they came. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a wonderful thing. Anyway, I've been talking a lot. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just great listening to all this. You're, so, you're saying really incredible, a lot of incredible things I really didn't even know about. Um, oh, really? Yes. Oh. No, seriously. Uh, I have one more question for you, though. Okay. Okay. What advice do you have for us young people here in the diaspora trying to connect with these roots and, and stay engaged with them and, and keep them alive? What advice do you have for us? Keep digging. Keep digging as deep as you can. Mm -hmm. The music is there. A lot of it is on YouTube, but a lot of it is not. Mm -hmm. yeah. Try and get a mentor. Try and get someone who will help you on this journey and help you dig out some of this stuff. That's always good, too, because it always goes back. when you, Especially when you're looking like music like the Afro-Boricua music or the Afro-Cuban music or mm -hmm. the Afro-Dominican music, you have to go back to the islands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to. I mean, I've been into, from the 70s, I was not only into the Afro-Dominican music, I was into Haitian, the Gaga, the Ra Ra. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I remember I had this album I found in the distribution room of Fania. Uh -huh. They had it laying there taking dust and it was from Uh, a record label in Santo Domingo called Karen, Karen Records. Uh -huh. And Fania was supposed to be distributing them, but they, I don't know, I don't know what they were doing. Mm -hmm. But I found this box of records. Wow. And the cover intrigued me because there were all these weird drums, mm -hmm. long, elongated drums, mm -hmm. painted with all these like cylindrical symbols, all these symbols and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I looked at it and I said, oh, what's this? And I look in the back, I thought it was Dominican music, but it was a combination of Dominican music and Haitian. Wow. And that's when I first found out about the Gaga rhythms, uh, Palo in Santo Domingo. Mm -hmm. um, oh my God, they had songs in there. And then of course I knew it was Haitian because some of the songs were in French. French right. and Spanish. Yeah. I, I remember one was, oh, And then they go to Spanish. Oh man, what a great song. Wow. It stood in my mind. And I'm, I mean, I'm remembering this from the 70s. Wow. <laughs> so, it, it, you, you know, songs, music, it comes from people. Yes. And when you start putting borders around them, it's not a good thing. No. Although you always have a sense of patriotism. Yes. You know? yes. And, and, and that's always good in a way. People want to feel proud of what they make. Mm -hmm. But I don't know of any artist. I don't know one artist who makes art just for their family, 
just for their friends mm-hmm. or just for their block. Right. When you make art, you make art for the world. Yes. Yes. You make art for the world. And um yeah, it's good to know where the roots are from. That's important. Yes. Um it's good to know where the journey came where the journey took those roots. You know, those roots are deep in Africa. And um that journey when they landed in the islands, all that got mixed up with the roots of the Indians. Mm-hmm. And then the conquistadores that were there with Europe. Yeah. So it all got blended together right there. So yeah. who can claim what? I mean, yeah, it was developed there, it was done there, but... Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> now, I do understand when some of the Cubans talk about plagiarism. Yeah, I do too. To, to, but to me, that's a totally different topic. Yes, there were a lot of them, especially in Fania, who mm-hmm. took advantage of VR, Derecho Reservado, rights yes, reserved, yes. and did not reserve those rights. Right. So totally erased that and put their names to it. Right. Jerry Masucci, although he was a great promoter, uh-huh. and he did promote the music around the world, mm-hmm. but Jerry Masucci did not sing he did not dance. Uh-huh. He did not play an instrument. Mm-hmm. Yet he did put his name to some of those songs. Right, exactly. And more than any of the artists, he had five houses. Exactly. None exactly. of those artists had five houses. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so yeah, I understand that. That I understand yeah. totally. Mm-hmm. But don't say that this was the Puerto Rican stole Cuban music. And no. That's, that's no, 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 no. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. No. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, because they, they can't claim that to be theirs either. All this developed on the islands and there was already stuff there. Right, exactly. And congas and Cuba did not have congas. Hmm. All right. And Negro, esclavizado, enslaved Africans came with the knowledge to make the conga. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But there were no congas waiting for them in Cuba. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I, but again, I do understand, you know, people have this, you know, um, this uh, cultural pride, you know, and, yeah. and it's good to have that pride, but on the other side, you know, there's a double-edged sword in that too. And sometimes those kind of prides is what puts boundaries around things and then and then you have crazy people you know um the music is an expression of people and people change just like community change Mm -hmm. people change they evolve they're on a journey and you have to respect that also and this music what we call salsa okay because the latin music of my parents that i call latin music Right. From the 60s on, that I consider salsa. Yeah. That was a mixed bag of all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. That was our music. We yeah. rebooted our parents' music. And that's why one of the best things, the greatest things that I'm most proud of that my generation did was that we were able to do, do the, the dances and do the marches. Mm-hmm. We were able to put a petition of over 100,000 signatures. Mm-hmm. to give to the people of Naris who still ignored us and then mm-hmm. on our own right. Latin New York we produced 
on award show. We did our own awards show right? magazine. Yes, yes. We did our own award show at the Beacon Theater that mm -hmm. was sold out packed. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. And then Stevie Wonder went there. Mm-hmm, yes, sir. We got him there. And when he got up and he took that stage, and let me tell you who else was there, because if you see that documentary on Rita Moreno, you will not know. Which is why these younger people need to connect to the older people. Yes, they it's do. not all about them either. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there was a lot missing from that documentary. And one of the biggest you. things there was a part that said she gave back to the to her community and she was an activist. Yes, she was. Mm -hmm. But they never said how she gave back to her community. And one of the ways she gave back and the footage is on YouTube. So I don't understand why they couldn't even, they didn't have people to advise them that were a little older that were in new york right and um because i would have told them i remember seeing rita moreno in 1975 at the beacon theater and she did this of her own accord she was the host so mm -hmm. instead of uh, we did our own grammys and rita moreno was the host of that grammy wow. and she had already won an oscar she, uh, she was already doing stuff on TV. Mm -hmm. She was still relevant. Yeah. And she went there, but she loved the music. She danced with Tito Puente on stage. Wow. She gave Larry Harlow his award. And when she saw Stevie Wonder come up on that stage, and Stevie Wonder took that stage and he said, Latin music is informing my music. I love this music. And if the Grammy people don't want to recognize it, I'm here to tell them right now, I will give back my five Grammys. Whoa. I have to tell you, Nena, that place was going to explode. Oh, my gosh. Everybody incredible. got up. Everybody. This was a standing ovation. We were screaming. Oh, wow. Screaming. <laughs> we were crying. Tears were coming. I saw musicians, grown men, crying. Wow. Crying. <laughs> and that was on a Sunday. Don't you know the next day, Monday, those Grammy people called that in New York. They talked to Pablo Joruba Guzman, who was the editor, still the editor mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. That was when I was coming in. And um, they asked Pablo to start putting together names for people to be on the committee. They were going to start a committee. And in 1976, Eddie Palmieri won that Grammy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's how it happened, Anita. It's an incredible story, really. <laughs> Isn't it? It's incredible. Oh, my gosh. Wow. wow. And Rita Moreno was part of that, and I don't understand why that's not... Well, I do understand why that's not mentioned, because they're not connecting with the Boricuas that were here in New York. Right, yeah. And the people that were there during that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was an incredible time. We did that. Yeah. We did that, and uh, hey, you know, it's, it's, oh boy, it was something. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, well, it's been such an honor to speak to you, really. It really has been, um, I'm so honored, um, and, um, you know, you've been such an inspiration to me. Um, so this has been like a big dream of mine for a while now. It's just, it's incredible. Really? Yes. I can't lean that. <laughs> I'm, I'm flattered. I am really flattered. I really feel good about it. I do. I do. It's, it's just, 
I don't say it is this I'm I'm very um my heart is is fluttering that you would do this to see you so involved in it it just I, honey it warms my heart my heart is doing somersault my heart is doing salsa okay <laughs> my heart is like ai vaya <laughs> So that's a good, good thing. So you've like, you've like rebooted my soul with that. You have. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you have rebooted my soul with that, honey. You have. Thank you so much. I think this thing is gonna reboot itself. I do. Yes. At least I believe. I gotta believe that. Yes. That it's gonna reboot. This cannot just die like this. No, no, it no. It can't. And actually, I met the grandson of Noro Morales. Oh, wow. And he's looking for his roots too. So he came here, introduced himself. He told me this idea he has, yeah. and he works in that school. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I, I'm like in shock. I met Noro Morales' grandson. Wow. Now I'm meeting you, and it's like, oh boy! <laughs> I know good things are going to come out of all this. Yes. <laughs> Plus, I have to keep the music going. Yeah. I have to leave it in the hands of somebody. You guys have to do it. You were really interested in the history, in the music, where it came from, the culture, the identity, the roots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what all this is about. Mm -hmm. That's what all this is about. It's not about anything else. Yeah. Well, it's about having fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's about dancing. Yeah. It's about love, too. Oh, my God. Uh, it's about politics. Yes. The music is about politics. Alonso, that songs. I mean, when you hear La Abolición, yep. uh, that song that Pete El Conde does, La Abolición llegó y el negro no la gozó. Yep. I mean, he's talking there, and even Cortillo with uh, El Negro Bembón. Yes. This is all about racism. Yeah. This is about politics, identity. Um, the music is like that. And Puerto Rican music especially was always about identity and protest. And yes. <laughs> so that concludes my interview with Aurora Flores. Um, I'm sorry if the end sounded a bit abrupt there, but um, I just hope you learned as much as I did because I learned so much talking to her. And it's, it's, I just want to leave you with one thing that I found really important here was the importance of us young people to keep this alive, to keep this music and culture alive. Um, it's imperative for us to keep it alive. And 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 um, we need to have a value for it because, I mean, we're not going to do that unless we have a value for it. Our culture is so beautiful and, and so rich. And I think that we really, we need to embrace it. And we need to, to see how important it is in telling our story as a people. And, and I'm not just talking to Latinos here. I'm talking to everybody because music is a universal language. And it's not just for one people, but it's for everyone. Um, like Aurora said, you don't make just art for your family or for your block. You make art for the world. And that's exactly what it is. Anyway, so I just wanted to leave you with that. Um, until next time, keep dancing. Keep honoring your ancestors. Con mucho, mucho cariño. Chao.